Hi, Mike. Uh, thank you so uh, thank you so much for coming out to Venture with Grace today, and then also actually putting up wood into the fireside chat over the fire. <laughs> oh my god! You didn't want to do interviews, so I said like, all right, let's just do a fireside chat. So I'm uh, I have this little office set up here at my house where I have like a nice TV, which I didn't put on, but uh, fireside chat because it's not an interview. We're just having a discussion. Totally. So uh, okay. Should I just lose the microphone? Yeah. I feel like you know i don't i don't know like i i think you're 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 like one of the most natural guests of all time because i just like went super nerdy i re-listened to like this is like a, um maybe like two years ago or something i listened to your podcast interview with like invest like the best and then uh you know the other mic and then like basically you're like on a lot of like amazing podcasts and then i just thought like your insight on invest like the best was like literally the best and then i dropped down some notes it's like the most interesting things i've like ever heard you mentioned like you know trader joe's branding is you know they're like selling themselves to like substitute teacher who drives a bobo or something so like basically i feel like that was such a random and interesting fact and then you mentioned about like how you how you guys do research it's like you guys research the mpi score of different products and then you go with like the higher mps score stuff so you mentioned about the kind bard. I'm maybe I'm just butchering these like facts. So basically, your okay, mission well, kind bard. Back and listen. Okay, and then there were like also you were talking about like you know thirty eight percent of your portfolio are female because um, female drives like eighty percent plus of consumer shopping behavior. And then you talk about the Patagonia brand about like you know they they did like a little PR which is like you know uh, they're not going to open for a Friday because of their employees are not. Um, you know, like they just want to keep their employee happy, but that just like drives their online sell uh, to go like really, really up. And then, okay, so I wouldn't name like literally the most random news I've ever took from your podcast interview with someone else. But like, I wonder when you are thinking about brand, what makes a brand great? What makes a brand great? I think, first of all, what, you know, the way we define brands is brands it's not necessarily just visual identity branding. I think a lot of VCs tend to be very linear and it's like, it's a color, it's a palette. Those are expressions. Mm -hmm. Brand is a set of values. It's what people say about you when you leave the room and, and great brands have more of an emotional tie into it. It's, it's the same way mm -hmm. if I said, Grace, you're awesome. I'm gonna give you a car, BMW or a Kia. You'd probably say the BMW. Well, I haven't shown you the car. And that just like the legacy is like BMW mm -hmm. is like more sophisticated, a higher end. And that's like, Kia's mm -hmm. a great car, by the way, mid-level, mm -hmm. but like BMW yeah. has. I, I own a Kia car. So basically. Yeah. That's I, did. I just insulted you right on your podcast right away too. So it's, no, uh, I like, I love BMW too, but anyway, yeah. so I don't, I know nothing about car, but yeah, I think, I think you're completely right about um, basically brand is like a feeling that you create it. Um, I wonder, since you have worked with so many amazing, iconic brands, you worked with Pepsi, GoDaddy of the Worlds, and then you also invested in Warby Parker and Peloton and all these amazing consumer brands. I guess, like, what were the things that you've learned from, like, managing these, like, really amazing brands to, like, applying them to help your portfolio company? Yeah, it's like, it's. I've had such a fun career. It continues to be fun because I learned so much from the entrepreneurs that we invest in or the chief marketing officers, or private equity firms that that uh, that partner with us. It's like great brand. There's no necessarily one formula. There's a way. And I, ideally, brand strategy is right there with business strategy and organizations. And when it fails is when business strategy is up here and like a oh, brand is marketing and marketing. That's an expense. That's when you usually see flaws in the system, which is why you have to do more advertising, whether it's on Facebook or, or that side. Great brands, especially in today's climate where you can participate with your audience more than ever. Great brands like actually do expressions of it. And in, if you look at consumer journeys, everything from the website to customer service, they work and there's more of a relationship in terms of like being empathetic to the customers. Now, do I want to have a relationship with my toilet paper? I don't know every now and then, obviously, but it's just... Brands that actually do right by people and there's a fair equation tend to be the ones that are going to win out and be above price increases and other things. Because, you know, I think where the world got away a little bit, especially in the, the early stage and scaling is Google's great. Meta has great stuff, too. But you just can't row as and cack your way to greatness. You have to do other things in the in the fuller funnel approach that a lot of companies started figuring out post iOS 14. Mm -hmm. um, it's easier said than done. And, and there's companies that we try and help them with. 
but there's nothing like some of the brands you'd mentioned, the, the Warby Parkers, the Pelotons, Harry's, Bubble Beauty, um, Helly Hair. It's just the founder has brand in the DNA and it's like starting early. What you may not have in scale, you can do like some things that maybe aren't efficient over the long term, as Airbnb greatly explained. But it's like it's a way of kind of building a business, um, you know, do things that aren't always scalable. But as you scale, people will root for you, especially if you if you stay true to your mission and and doing right by the customer. Totally. I wonder, um, you mentioned that, like, you know, basically, I guess, like, how do you measure the impact of a brand? Uh, we all have the feeling of like, you know, uh, when you're drinking a Coca-Cola or like when you're driving a BMW, like it kind of gives you like a certain feeling uh, that's like associated with these brands. But, you know, for younger brands, how do you quickly establish that feeling? Grace, I love it. You had uh, so many great guests in this uh, on your on your show that I've watched so much of it. The fact you're talking about brand and marketing, which you've only done a couple of times, I love. I think we've made you a convert. So, Grace, you're making me so happy on that. How do you measure it? Bottom line. I mean, the bottom line success brand isn't something that's a nice to do and it's completely separate from it. Great brands should have the traction uh, that go with it, whether you're a publicly traded company, the P.E. ratio uh, on that side of it, or just like the fandom that uh, a company has above and beyond. There's certain trackers that we do, like my partner Brent is masterful. We have something called the Remarkability Index that we have seven different like kind of measures to see like what great brands are and how they're doing against it. And, uh, you know, there's top two that we look at that help us inform our investment decisions, but also help calibrate where brands can make changes. And and not, you know, we have a marketing advertising background. We do our jobs well if we can help these brands spend less money in marketing advertising because they're talked about for doing remarkable things, whether it's a proposition, a product, a customer service or something that doesn't exist. So that's what we try to do. But there's so many different ways to quantify or qualify it. Um, what we're hell-bent to show is like strong brands lead to more financial success. And that's something Wall Street and, and probably a lot of our peers in the consumer venture world probably don't uh, appreciate as much as we'd like. One day they will, though, Brett. One day. Totally. I wonder, I think like especially for smaller brands or like the younger brands, like how would you quickly establish the vibe to the customer? Um, because I feel like when we talk about like Trader Joe's or like, you know, the um, more like iconic brands of the world, they took like forever to build up that brand. Um, I don't know if it's because of like a spread and pray marketing strategy and then they just came early on and then they like basically threw things into the wall and like trying to see what sticks. Like, I don't really know, like because they took a long time to build a brand. Right. Um or like there's like product-led companies. I consider like Google as like a product-led company, although it's such a broad company. Like, you know, they don't really necessarily need a lot of marketing. They are like the product speaks for itself or like ChatGPT or something. So I wonder when you're thinking about building a brand, what does that entail? And like what goes into um, it when, especially when like if you're like a, a uh, smaller, younger company trying to quickly establish themselves into the ecosystem. Sure. If you're a smaller, younger company, it's just uh, for what you don't have in terms of awareness and scale and size notoriety, it's like you could do from the ground up. And so, you know, take, for instance, Bubble Beauty, when we saw that, mm -hmm. first of all, great founders make people like me and us look so great um, because they have it naturally built in their DNA. And, and even if someone doesn't have a brand or marketing background, when you're a founder, you are the chief brand officer period, mm -hmm. early stage. So founders that create the strongest brands that we've identified up front are super passionate about solving a problem, but paranoid mm -hmm. that what's going to go wrong, how we get to fix it. And, and those founders tend to like obsess over customer service and want to do right by their customer, mm -hmm. not just celebrate a one-time acquisition and like, I'm done with you. They also tend to know their target audience's pain points extremely, extremely well and actually care about solving a problem. And maybe I'm trying to be a romantic on it, but founders that do that tend to like, it bleeds, that passion to serve the customer bleeds throughout the entire organization. So when you go from like employee one to maybe employee 20 or 30, it's like that natural center of gravity like perseveres on it. I mean, that bubble beauty, all the other brands you mentioned earlier, which we're fortunate to be part of and, and helped a bit here and there um, exemplify that. When you get to be later stage, we'll say Google. Google's got a great brand, but you could argue, okay, that brand could hurt them if they're going into something that's an adjacent category. Um, mm -hmm. Launching a phone wasn't necessarily like phone and Google. How do you do that? Well, Google has certain like brand, like brand, like, you know, 
first it was do no evil, which was their brand positioning. Mm -hmm. Then they wanted to organize the world's information. So you might think of them as a great search uh, engine, but do you think of them for other areas um, that they want to get into, like the phone business or other things that are within the alphabet empire? Um, down to an example we were involved with, like um, we were we were involved potentially with uh, with some partners purchasing Bed Bath and Beyond's IP after it was mm -hmm. bankrupt, and uh, the investment banker on the deal valued the brand at thirteen point four million dollars, and we laughed at that. In two 2021, Bath, Bath and Beyond.com alone was doing $1.7 billion. And so we set out to get it. We had some great backers. Thank you, PAGS Group, among others. Um, and we lost out, unfortunately, to Overstock.com. Now, what do you mm -hmm. think? When you think of Overstock.com, you think liquidation, you think fire sale and all that. And their business had actually grown above and beyond that. So they actually bought it. And then once six days later, they changed the name of their company. This company has mm -hmm. been around it's like the 90s they changed their name to bed bath and beyond and the market cap date that day went up 118 million dollars so that to me just shows you brand matters a, a lot more and uh if you have a strong one it could help you lead to new innovation and loyalized customers and if you have one that's kind of limiting and overly descriptive or you don't play into it in new ways it can restrict your future um future sales and everything so it's uh I could geek out about this all day long. So it's uh, whether you're a scale company or you're a, you're a startup looking to take down scale, it's um, but, but brand can help either win. Let's talk about bullish. Like how, like when you're thinking about your own brand, since you're like such a successful marketing executive and then you also created like a venture arm. And like, I wonder when you're thinking about your own personal brand, as well as that your business brand how do you think about it and then in the venture capital world i kind of feel like it's just becoming such a social media driven business or like media in general or marketing driven business because we're like well everybody is like kind of selling commodity which is money and not not that like you know <laughs> selling money is like hard or anything but like when you're like doing anything competitive like you know when you're competing into the best deals and everything like how do you kind of position your brand uh, first of all i'd say i don't know what my personal brand is it's my wife and kids uh, uh don't think highly of it most of the time i'd say like that but in terms of what we stand for you know what it, bullish it's like this this is i think i showed you this on my phone it's like yeah, yeah, yeah. Bullish yeah i love that yeah. and we want to show that the liberal arts people and the non-financial engineers mm -hmm. and we have some good and pure investors on our team that are from like the Notre Dames and, and good schools, if you will. Um, but we're trying to show how like liberal arts, like being able to understand the demand side of the equation and consumers, mm -hmm. what consumers are really doing versus financial mm -hmm. engineering. And financial engineering is important, but it's like when you look at great brands, it's the intangibles, it's it's R&D, it's innovation, and, and it's what a brand stands for above and beyond it. It's hard to quantify it. So, you know, in a world where right now, we're talking in 2024, consumer mm -hmm. investing isn't cool. I mean, when we saw like the Web3 people kind of picking on consumer, I was like, huh, a lot of last year. And yet consumer makes up 68% of the US economy. Mm -hmm. So in a lot of times when we're looking at different companies, it, things aren't as competitive as they used to be. Um, a lot of the funds that we've been peers with went up and above and, and raised funds that are, it's harder to make a return on, mm -hmm. on consumer when you're, when, when you maybe outkick your original strategy and you have to become more generalist. But um, as consumers, we are getting more uptight about everything. We're more promiscuous. Uh, we want more stuff. Jeff Bezos has so many great quotes on this stuff. And we know corporate America, it's tough to, to have the dreamers and the innovators when you have to make your corporate numbers every quarter or else. And so we like to say Coca-Cola didn't have the dreamers and innovators to think of vitamin water, but they had $4.2 billion on the balance sheet to go buy it. General mm -hmm. Mills, same with Blue Buffalo. They spent billions and billions of dollars to buy a brand that uh, like a, a wonderfully naive and passionate uh, entrepreneur did. So we try to is just find people that are like minded like that. Um, and there's more and more of them out there, but not necessarily in the same spots as they were 10 years ago and all that. But uh, I think we're going to look back at this time period and say for numerous reasons, there was a, a number of like consumer companies that we love. And yet it takes time. Things mm -hmm. like water doesn't boil within seconds. Uh, mm -hmm on that side of it. So we, it, because there's a lack of competition, we see the world differently. It, it tends to kind of like, we, we find the entrepreneurs ideally that, uh, that are like-minded, um, mm. a little bit like off the beaten path, like we are. What does your old life look like when you are working as a 
advertising executive as a person who was from the outside i kind of pictured the madman era like people walking in smoke some cigars or whatever and then trying to come up with like a advertising strategy for this but like i wonder what is a modern day of like being at executive look like and then also you um right now you're an investor and i wonder like how do you structure your day compared to Matt, the madman era yeah, it's. Uh, I know I look old, Grace, but I wasn't around during the Mad Men area. That was like in the fifties and sixties. <laughs> I think those guys, like, I mean, John Hamm looks so good in his suit and everything. I think that was uh, from a, a more romantic day, and yet a day when actually CEOs of companies, more respected marketers and agencies, funny mm -hmm. enough, like MBAs would go there. Um, you know, to be honest with you, I, I say this all the time as investor. This is the only job I've ever had as an investor. I don't know what you're supposed to do, and, and I, I credit many people between first round capital and Satya Patel and Todd Benson and, and a number of others for, for helping um, get us smart and stay with it within the industry. But mm -hmm. what I realize is what we don't know is the biggest advantage. It's like, we have ability to build brand and the investing side, we have the ability mm -hmm. to build brands and understand true consumer behavior. And most VCs or investors don't know how to do that. Mm -hmm. And so when, when you go to like Mad Men area and, and I, I have a love hate relationship with that, it was kind of entertaining, but, that's not the way the world works. Like just mm -hmm. smoking and like sitting there with the bar cart. I got the idea for a tagline. Like, <laughs> it didn't work that way. Um, I mean, the Mad Men era now would probably be growth hackers around a computer saying, oh my God, the algorithm just changed again, right? It's like, but there's magic from that area in terms of the power of a strong brand idea. And at that mm -hmm. time where you didn't have that many outlets, you, do, you weren't getting 35,000 messages a day like we do now. And so the ability to create a great idea is still a puppel is when you take strong strategic people who are trying to figure out how to solve a problem and then merit with creative people like how to get this in a culture and your target customer in a way that's unique refreshing and yet relevant on that side and that's hard to do it is hard despite our brains being locked in the left and right side of the brain tends to tilt in one way or another and, and what i love mm -hmm. about bullish offense um, is like we took uh, tendencies from from great agencies and that we're left brain and trying to solve strategies and, and look, understand the business. And mm -hmm. yet we've got heart and right brain, like how does this solve? Because mm -hmm. as consumers, we're irrational. We don't follow the, the like what we're supposed to do and everything. We're liars when you look at exit interviews. So um, and the speed of business has changed so much. So um, I, I'd say like the advertising or, or marketing industry is as much like Mad Men as like as much as like Goldman Sachs or, or big finance runs on E-Trade. Um, mm -hmm. I, I don't think they're necessarily comparable on that, but it's, uh, I will say this, the, the people that are in the, the, the marketing industry are some of the greatest problem solvers out there. And when you look at Fortune 500 CEOs and see like there's more and more liberal arts people creeping in with speed of business and all these technologies, it's your ability to adapt and learn that's more important. And, and that's why I think um, some of the talented, ambitious, chip on the shoulder people from the advertising and marketing world are going to do more damage uh, into the world mm -hmm. of finance and investing. Mm, what happened after you had the one and a half hour chat with the first round capital people? Oh my goodness! So first round for those who uh, you did your homework, Grace. I like you. Um, I'm I'm you sorry. Know. I feel so creepy. Like I literally just dropped down these like keyboards, no, and that I was just yeah. Yeah, so first round capital and we, we've co-opted this uh, today first round capital had these uh, that's called like office hours and they would give any entrepreneur 10 minutes of their time and give feedback on it and um i, I flew to san i flew to their san francisco office um after having one in new york and there was literally 78 people that attended and i remember chris frayla coming out of a meeting with this guy who had a rock and sock and robot he was just like this and it was just it was like wonderful passionate like the land of broken toys and i was right in there and and in uh, that day, I, I think there was 78. Um, I think four of us got uh, over at like 30 minutes, or more than 10 minutes, and one of us got an hour and a half. And and I was the one out of the 78 that got an hour and a half, thanks to the generosity of like Ken Goldman and, and Chris and, and Finn Barnes and Christine, who was there. Mm -hmm. And so that just generosity really stuck with me because in marketing advertising, for us to win, I want everyone else to lose. We want to point in the brand, and I've, I've softened up a little bit. But investing, you know, how can you build a cap table around this entrepreneur founding team to help her win? And it, there's more of a generosity in there. And especially now with great consumer ideas are not relegated to New York or San Francisco or Ivy League and Stanford schools, especially post pandemic. You can get the next great idea of Syracuse, New York 
of Enid, Oklahoma. I mean, Beaverton, Oregon is the home of Nike. Under Armour was built in Baltimore. So uh, mm-hmm. what's, what's really interesting at this time, I think we've shifted a lot and it, it's ability to kind of go with that shift that's so important. And so that's why we're trying to do office hours throughout the country and in different categories, just to raise awareness for us. Cause um, you know, that chip on the shoulder entrepreneur doesn't have to be in the 212 or 415 anymore to, to, to do well or, or even get funding. Totally. Okay. So after you chat with first round capital, I guess, like, how did you execute on the idea of like, you're starting a phone? Hmm. They were so helpful. So, I mean, this is post 2008 crisis. So mm-hmm. an advertising person raising a fund wasn't gonna be that easy. So um, I was blessed enough to save, save some money and we started investing. And I was like, I felt I was kind of like an unofficial intern at first round. Mm-hmm. Um, and they actually introduced us to our first investment, Birchbox. And mm-hmm. um, Birchbox had trouble raising money. Why? First of all, it's two women. Women, mm-hmm. this is no secret. Women have a tougher time raising capital than someone that looks like me. Um, but having been on the advertising side and, and to what you said earlier, women make 83% of the purchase decisions um, or, or purchases in the US. Um, uh, so it's like they're better consumers. And yet most most investors are men. So it's like, well, I'm not interested in that or my wife wouldn't be interested in that. It's like, yeah, but but the, the average consumer doesn't have a seven car garage in Palo Alto. Well, it's uh, the average household income is like 51,000 in the US. So um, met Birchbox and just thought, oh my God, this is gonna be great. And, and wanted in. And then um, Teresa, who was Excel at the time, said the same same thing. So all of a sudden, they went from having a tough time raising capital to overcrowded and, mm-hmm. and uh, were able to stay in. And I, I think I, I give Katya and Haley's founders of Birchbox so much credit because they saw the value that we could do beyond our money. And, and that's where it lifted off. But I, we wouldn't have had that opportunity without first round capital. And it's Birchbox was such a success. It, it kind of created a new economic model, subscription that people still adore today. And you know, without Birchbox, we wouldn't be where we are today. And and that came to us for first round, who, who's just always been generous with their time and, and they're wired the right way in a in a world that, um, you know, a lot of people, they help raise bigger funds in them and maybe didn't collaborate as much. Uh, I've I found that they've stayed, they've stayed through. So I give, I give a lot of credit to uh, Josh Koppelman, who's, who's, who's phenomenal, Chris Freilich, uh, Rob, and, and what Howard Morgan created uh, back in the day um, that mm-hmm. they're continuing with. Totally. Um, I wonder when it comes to doing due diligence and, you know, be beyond like the story of, um, I bet like the Birchbox, found, Birchbox founders have really great story to tell, but like, what are some things that you feel like you have seen that are like in your advertising era? Like what are some insights that you took away to, you know, recognizing these great brands? I think, coming across like many random consumer related brands every single day it's really i feel like i'm like easily falling in love with everybody's like product but like you mentioned in like the other interviewers like product is not something you focus on you focus on building a great business um i guess like how do you evaluate on what has business potential and what is just a good product it's a very good insight. It's like the, uh, I think learning from the marketing and advertising days, and we have a strong, you know, uh, consultancy that actually helps our uh, founders and, and then work for hire as well is the ability to listen. And it's not just looking at data. Like I, I think data driven is most, the most, uh, it's a fallacy. I think data informed makes a lot more sense for humans. I love AI, but I think you still need humans to curate it. Um, actually go see what consumers are really doing. And by that mean, like we do our own proprietary surveys. Again, what Brent Vartan can do is just uh, unbelievable to really understand the why, not just the what. Mm-hmm. Um, we do store checks every four to six weeks. We're in stores like from a Whole Foods to a Target to a Walmart and not the ones just in New York City. It's like, you know, it's out in America and it's, we'll see certain things like on shelves like, oh, there's been a disruption there or what's going on there or just people watch, which is a little bit creepy just to make this all about creepy. But actually what watch what people are doing and and the other interesting thing is we were getting deal flow i mean last year i mean we on a common year we're, we're looking at 2500 to 3000 deals and, and doing six or eight um but we're also getting phone calls from like the likes of the walmarts and taylormades jp morgan's pepsi's and as mm-hmm. is, is to solve a problem that they think we can uniquely uniquely do and what's great about that we're partnering with corporate america to do new innovations like i i don't think there's mm-hmm. another entity that knows more about direct consumer, the business of direct consumer mm-hmm. marketing than, than we do. 
and I, and I can be challenged on that, but it just having done it for 12 years and meeting some great founders, it's just, it is a great compliment to a business in many cases. And so I just think that that curiosity and ability to learn from professional services serves us well, whether we're working with a, a Walmart or a private equity firm diligencing a company to uh, assessing a company. And we'll get it mm -hmm. wrong at times. Like we're, mm -hmm. we'll invest super early, or as I say, stupid early. You know, we were, we were pre-revenue on Birchbox, on Peloton, on Harry's, on mm -hmm. Bubble, on Casper. So it's just, but it's a leap of faith based on uh, some things that we see in the marketplace, like what's going on in culture, what's going on within the competitive set, what's going on in the consumer, and then assessing mm -hmm. is this company or these founders, the one that can like um, make a little bit dent into the market share of that universe. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, 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 it is fun. It's a lot of work, but it's fun. Totally. I wonder when you are thinking about, let's say like if you, you and I are creating a brand today, let's say we're creating like a yeah. toothpaste brand. Toothpaste. All right. Grace and Mike's toothpaste. Got it. All right. Let's go. Okay. How, like, what's, what should we do in the, like, I guess like what are three steps we need to do to make sure we have a business? Uh, whether it's three or more, they all come with question marks is like, does the world need another toothpaste? Um, what's going around, what's, what's wrong with a toothpaste category that isn't being solved? Um, a, a big question we ask is like, who is this for? It's mm -hmm. like, th and this is why we kind of laugh at Tam a little bit. Like Tam, like toothpaste is $3 trillion category. I don't think it's that big. Let's go with it. Um, not everyone is your target audience. So it's like, we try and like, we really like founders that are going after a certain set, a certain type of person, like the, the, mm -hmm. the alpha or the tiki torches, the, the pioneers, if you will, that um, that will adopt and, and then stay with brand loyalty forever. But it's like there's got to be a unique insight, a unique proposition. Mm -hmm. And then like for a certain kind of consumer that can then, you know, the tiki torch creating a mm -hmm. fire. So it's the first thing is, wow, if we can just get one point one percent of the three trillion dollar category. It's like, sure. But what you what is uniquely being brought to the table is the okay. technology. Cool. Is it a pricing thing? OK. But if it's rational only, then we're, we'll we'll get a little bit skeptical and just say like attributes can be uh, can be beaten. Like look at Silicon Valley; things can become faster, cheaper, bigger, smaller in in a nanosecond. What are you doing above and beyond just the product proposition to capture that? So that those are the in shorthand kind of way that we look at it. So Grace, I, I want our toothbrush company or toothpaste company to do well, but like. You know where are we finding our, our our dent in the universe? And there's there's opportunity. Look at what you know. Hello, uh, Craig Dubitsky sold to uh, to Colgate not so long ago, and everything. So he found a way, and everything. So there's there's plays to be made. But um, the first thing we do is pressure test ourselves. Does the consumer want it? Who's that consumer? And how does this uh, how does this kind of uh, upset the status quo? How do we how do we do the research? Let's say if my insight is some people don't like to brush their teeth at night. And then if we just put a little bit of toothpaste into their mouths, they don't have to brush it. They can just go to sleep. Let's say if this is our product, how should we go about like testing if the society wants it? So Grace, I think you weren't kidding about this toothpaste company. I think you, you put my name on an LLC document. You're going to get started. Okay. This is serious. Um, well, it's, you know, I'll, I'll offer up one thing, and then I'm stealing this from my partner, Brent, again. Um, you're supposed to brush for two minutes each time you brush, two minutes twice a day mm -hmm. or something like that. The average American brushes her or his teeth 37 seconds. So if it was like, let's create that a... Long? I'm yeah. Just and think about how long that is in today's world where our attention spans have fallen by a third since mm -hmm. 1990. That's so like it, three TikToks, but anyway. Like, it's the, tooth, like the toothpaste that... Um, is is more effective in 37 seconds than than something at a minute or something like that. So that'd be a, a USP or a product proposition, like no other toothpaste works harder. But it'll also be built around the, the consumer that, well, we should be doing this. I mean, mm -hmm. if we, rationally, we should be all drinking water. You know, you see all these cups, I got water, I got like a, a Coke Zero or something like that. I got like bone broth. It's just like Americans don't necessarily follow what we all should do, or else no one would smoke, mm -hmm. drink, and all that stuff, right? Mm -hmm. So is there something about our toothpaste that is uniquely like helps America, like us as consumers that are flawed? Like, you know what? This is more effective. Like if you just do this for 30 seconds, it's as effective as if you did it for two minutes. Whoa, hook me up, hook me up there. So that's it. And and even like, while that's a product proposition, it's just like, I would take a step back. It's like, what does our brand stand for? And, and our brand would stand for something bigger than that 30 second. It's just like, 
we help people get a cleaner, healthier outlook on life um, and do so in, in, you know, a minimal amount of time or something like that. Mm -hmm. so just something above and beyond. So you're not just launching something that could be good for six months, but, you know, and, and that's hard to ascertain. You know, it's like, mm -hmm. is it it's a great product that is being launched or could this be a great company? And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, my crystal ball has been shattered to, to, to smithereens, so I, I we don't have it. But using some of the things we talked about earlier are, are gateways to determine if this is got high upside potential. Mm, you mentioned earlier, there's like a remarkability index. There's like seven things in that. Um, how do we evaluate if this toothpaste thing is going to work out by your seven index? Uh, well, if we looked at the index now, it's like when we run all sorts of brands against it to determine like the strength, whether it's differentiated, whether it's relevant, where it's familiar and all that. So it's uh, we, we can do a peek inside in terms of that category within health and beauty uh, to get in there. But it's it's really telling. Like, um, you know, when we were running this since 2017, I believe, 2016, we saw Hugh Chocolate. Hugh Chocolate mm -hmm. was the most differentiated brand out there. Apple was number two. And, mm -hmm. and literally the founder put that into the deck that Goldman Sachs used to sell the company for a record multiple to, to Mondelez. So there's certain like canaries in the coal mine that uh, the remarkability index kind of like shows are like, Ooh, we should emphasize that. And, and we love propositions that maybe over index in, uh, uh, on something, whether it's customer service, whether it's uh, different elements of it. And there's seven, like having a magnetic founder, which I think you'd qualify for, for a toothpaste company. Having a magnetic founder is like a huge component to, mm. um, to going up and to the right, so to speak, um, because brands have very human characteristics. You don't have more human characteristics than, than brands. And, uh, you know, the found, you know, uh, uh, the founder of like method and Ollie, Mr. Ryan, who's, uh, Eric Ryan, who's great is, is, is shown that when he was launching, mm -hmm. uh, method, he was like Procter and Gamble spends more money a year on toilet paper than my company is worth. And he mm -hmm. kind of made this David and Goliath thing, or when dollar shave club came out with its viral video that had it. Mm -hmm. In fact, there is a razor and blade company is very human and personal elements of it. And Jeff mm -hmm. and doing stuff beyond there. So, um, oh, we could geek out all day, but it's just like, there's a lot of different things that we measure in it, but, um, we, we really want to go to town and two or three of them to really emphasize to, uh, to go after the crests and the Colgate's category. Mm, okay. Let's say if you and I have 50 K budget on both product and marketing, how should we build this company? So this is where the professional services mindset comes in. Like how do we arrive on 50,000? What is what do we want that fifty thousand to do? What do we want to accomplish it? Is it uh, a certain sales? Is it awareness? Is it that? So it's we back out, and again, part of our and I'm not trying to be a clown, not answering your question. The way we think about it, like how do we arrive to have fifty, and what do we want to do with it? Because it might be unrealistic um, on that, mm -hmm. and um, and that's maybe why because of the immediate funnel elements of doing uh, digital acquisition, people go to that. But like mm -hmm. brand building could be such a big part of that. And brand building isn't mm -hmm. just like doing for the sake of it. But if you're doing like a high purchase, like a, a, a purchase you're not going to do like every day, like a car, how do you do stuff that, um, that is the air cover? So when you are looking for a car and, and the who is very important, you select us. So part of it is like, what do we want to get out of 50,000? Because there's too many mm -hmm. marketing agencies that don't get like 50,000. That's the budget. Okay, let me go spend it. But like no one does marketing or advertising for the sake of doing it. You want to see a return. So, um, and you can tell I'm a pain in the butt, Grace. You probably tell as much as we're going to do this toothpaste piece, I'm a pain in the butt, but like, we don't want to know how'd you come up with 50,000 and is the, is that the right way? So, um, you know, the, the good Lord gave us two ears, one mouth for a reason. And I, th I think, um, the, you know, not to punt on the question, but that's literally how we would uh, go back to is, um, what do we want to get out of that? And is it realistic? Mm -hmm. Do you think we should go about the product first or marketing first? Like, um, you know, is normal consumer product product driven or do you think it's marketing driven? Because when you think about Dollar Shave Club, like the CEO is super charismatic and then it's like I, it, it's a viral video that kind of gave them the head start. And then when they were just selling like random like razors right like i mean i never i mean my husband used it and my husband also used harry's but anyway so like basically i wonder yeah, use harry's <laughs> harry's just 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 putting that out there totally okay so i wonder how uh like you know would you go about the product first or would you go about the marketing first i'm sure it's probably chicken or egg but i wonder when you're starting something 
um, how do you evaluate um, where to put your money and resources in? And then what is like basically your first three months um, going to look like as like a benchmark for your success? Like, I guess, like, what would you consider as a success for like three months of working on this thing? It is 100% not the marketing. It is not the marketing. It's, it's, I'd say it's proposition based. What's our proposition? So if company's going to launch a new razor that does this, it's like, is this company, maybe like we're going to democratize and make shaving fair for everybody again. Mm-hmm. Gillette was a great business model. It was something like 9% of the revenue of Procter & Gamble and 34% of the profits. It's mm-hmm. a Harvard Business School case study, the razor and the blades and it was such a ripoff. And mm-hmm. so with Dollar Shave Club and probably more successfully Harry's came along is like, wait a minute, this is just a wrong end of it. So let's create stuff. And, and, and I think Harry's and, you know, this could be debatable to others that the Dollar Shave Club certainly had a, a wonderful exit for, for them. Um, Dollar Shave Club with this great viral thing that kind of was all marketing driven, but but the quality mm-hmm. of the blades weren't that great. It was you know made by Doc Como, the, the, the blue razor blades. Harry's was more like our proposition. It's just like, let's give guys a fair shave. And so they even bought a plant and did it. Maybe not as cheap as Dollar Shave Club, as I mean, Dollar Shave Club had that, but it was more of a fair proposition that was like pretty good on that. So the proposition I think is even bigger than the products. Because if you look mm-hmm. at Harry's now, or if you look at any products as you know, successful companies that start with a product, it's like Harry's now is infiltrated my my bathroom. I literally have mm-hmm. like 27 products. Yes, I'm vain. Sure, shoot me. But between raising, between face lotion, between my eye stuff, because this, mm-hmm. this is natural, as love I'd say it. It's mm-hmm. the products that mm-hmm. I give Harry's permission as a brand to do great. And, mm-hmm. and, and identify with it. So it's a proposition to do something more than a product. And yet, you know, if, if you have a okay product, that's all right. We've seen commodity, like I, I give Hims a lot of credit. Hims mm. was a great idea because they basically took drugs coming off patent and just marketed them in a far better way, a more empathetic way. And, and they do that rinse, lather, repeat, if you will. So it's like you could do marketing um, and, and be heavily on the marketing side. And Hims did a great job of building a brand, but also going heavy in marketing. But if anyone who starts with the marketing first, it's usually something that we we try to avoid, ironically. You know, mm-hmm. I remember first we Harry's is launched in our back office. We we were blessed to be a, in the first investment crew and and help them develop their brand as as Jeff and Andy worked hard in their back office. And and I, I just never forget what they wanted to do on that side of it. And yet the first full year they came out and they said, All right, we're gonna do 10 million this year, we're gonna spend four million in marketing, because you just spent 40 percent on marketing, which I don't know how that came to be. We don't agree. After a three and a half hour meeting, we actually cut that down to 28% and 2.8 million and focused them in key areas that they'd be able to be better execute on, learn more about their customer uh, on that side and go from there. And you know, one of the things that we learned is this customer doesn't necessarily want subscription right away. Let's not do subscription. Subscription was introduced mm-hmm. like just under two years after launch. People forget that. So it's just once we got a sense of pattern of, of certain people, mm-hmm. uh, and then it went into Target, So um, which was a great form of marketing because you can only get so much awareness mm-hmm. using Again, digital channels and some of the marketing stuff. But if you're found at Target, Discovery, and, and that wound up being a phenomenal case study for both Target and Harry's and mm. the team evolution. Um, that's a long way to answer, but it's really true. It's like proposition and then product and, and marketing. Marketing is there to serve to, to do many, many things, but it just, uh, we, one of the reasons we love in remarkability, it's just like if we get consumers talking about a product and doing things. And there's, yes, marketing can help support that. Um, you know, that that's a much better long-term proposition, we feel. Mm. When you are thinking about these, like, go-to-market strategies and marketing all together, um, how do you kind of, like, educate yourself onto that sector? And then I know that you have many, many years of experience. I guess, like, what's the training you set for yourself in these categories? And then, I mean, I have a second question later, but. We'll go with this one. It's a great question. It's it's going back to two years, one mouth. You know, the, growing up in the agency world, it just uh, and we still have an agency function that's pretty active, and so you can hire us. Um, mm-hmm. Growing up in the agency world, it's like you learn how to solve problems for a multitude. So it's like going on the game show Jeopardy, if you will. Mm-hmm. You learn a lot about a different, a lot of different categories. So it's the ability to learn and, mm-hmm. and have the professional services mentality. And when we're the most successful, it's like we're vested in understand the business at hand. Mm-hmm. We're naive to internal politics or or maybe what has been tried to do before. And, mm-hmm. and that's so, so critical because when we're hired, we look at, we're representing the consumer um, 
and and what's going on the, in that side of it because we're not in the halls of the, these companies every day so we can be a little bit open and yet we know we want to have a business outcome we want to drive results whether it's like market share awareness profitability and, and those things so we so we marry things that are kind of like hard for entities to do and you know that's why people bring in like outside um quote unquote experts at time is to mm -hmm. our naivete and our know-how in other categories so mm -hmm. uh, it's been an effective weapon but it's like curiosity insatiable desire to learn um and for me someone like unlearning like we, we, have, we have you know uh, blessed to have some great teammates at bullish and just uh, i'm unlearning by like you listening like to amanda like what she's doing and she's like a TikTok influencer and like mm -hmm. that didn't quite exist when i was growing up so it's like mm -hmm. learning from that in a, in a world where celebrity used to be who i used to see on tv or or in movies now celebrity could be the, in the Mr. Beast era, anybody mm -hmm. that, that, mm -hmm. the following. And so everyone has a microphone thanks to iPhones and, and just like the, the, the rapid dissension. It's like all bets are off. It's like, we can, we can all become famous for good and bad reasons. Right. Mm -hmm. So like the ability to unlearn as much as to have all this expertise and know-how that like, if there's a little gray hair here and here might indicate, but, um, we're not know-it-alls. Um, that that's mm -hmm. for sure. I give a lot of our success a testament to that mindset. You mentioned like you didn't invest in Stitch Fix because of you guys invest in like this other men brand that are like doing something similar. Um, and I wonder like how do you decide when to move into like I mean be, like besides Stitch Fix, you guys invest in many many iconic brands like you know which had about Peloton last time like you know you were talking about like you know you invest in Peloton when it was like literally ten plus years ago so like I like I wonder like how do you identify like what's a category king because there must be like I don't know uh, when there's one um, Harry's there must be like. A bazillion shave brand come to you to be like, "Hey, Mike, can you invest in me?" Um, how do you quickly see which founder and which team is gonna win? It's really hard. It's hard to diagnose it because it's like you're 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 exactly right. You're done. Like which founder, which team are gonna win? And you can go by like, okay, they're that person's from an Ivy League school or that and that, and therefore they're a high achiever. Um, but the other team could have someone that is lost and has been a failure at past startups. And it's just, you know, one of the things we're, we're not usually too active in backing successful entrepreneurs over and over again. We, we've, mm -hmm. we've broken that code once or twice, certainly. Give me someone who's failed. Give me someone who's hungry on it. So it's just someone who's just going to show the it factor a little bit more, mm -hmm. that paranoia, that passion, that relentless, insatiable desire to do right by the customer. Um, mm -hmm. And that side of it. So it's more of a feel on that side of it than anything else. Now, we saw this in the cooking category a number of years ago. And and we saw like six or seven pots and pans company. And Caraway was the one that we went down the the the, the road the longest with. And we didn't invest. Caraway was like the, the one that did it. And it's like I'm not surprised based on his know-how and everything. So he deserves a lot of credit. Mm -hmm. But it's an imperfect science. It really, really is an imperfect science um, on this side of it because it's just – I mean, as someone who I don't know what I'm going to do next weekend to predict, mm -hmm. like, it's going to be successful six or eight years down the road or wildly successful, if you will. It's hard, it's hard mm -hmm. to tell um, mm -hmm. in that. But it's the great thing is working with, like, big corporations, private equity firms, and, like, looking at founders, we get a sense of what's going on in the categories and we quickly learn. It's like there's advantages here where, where the incumbent script is weaker than others. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, to what your point is, we will back founders versus categories. Like there's certain mm -hmm. categories where we're, you know, AI is very big or before crypto is big or whatever. It's just what teams have staying power? What teams mm -hmm. have like the ability to like, like to go bigger and beyond? Um, mm -hmm. the things that we do at Bullish with, with some of the founders is we do a, uh, we do this test where write your own obituary for the company. And it just like, and it could be venture with grace shut its doors because the world had access to great venture capital people or whatever it is. And the, first, the only time is Jeff refused to do it. He's like, I don't want to see Harry's go away. And that, that yeah. showed us something where like, he's in it for the long haul. Like this is probably gonna be more CapEx intensive to do it. Like this isn't like a get in, get out quick thing. And 10 months into it, he, they bought a plant. So that there was mm -hmm. three vertically integrated shaving companies in the world. Mm -hmm. You had Gillette since like 
1904, Schick since 1925, and then Harry's in 2014, 2013. And so that shows a kind of permanent. So there's 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 um, canaries in the coal mine or indicators, if you will. But again, we're, um, you know, it, it comes down to the people. And so we try to diagnose just that. But it's, you know, the most simplest way versus long answer is like, what team do you, will you do you like go to bed at night feeling the most confidence in that they'll figure stuff out, whether we enter a pandemic or like crap hits the fan because it always does. Mm, I all, think it's, for all the shows, there not, nothing mm, is purely up into the right and as romantic as as maybe what we read about. Totally, I I feel like it's really hard to tell about someone's character if you just met them or like just based on their resume. I'm sure like everybody have like a story or two two to like tell about uh, how tenacious they are. Um, I wonder, like, I mean, of course, like being hungry and then showing passion is like mm -hmm. super important, but I feel like it's really easy to fake it too. Yeah. Um, how do you kind of like judge the authenticity and repeat that judgment multiple times? Yeah, I mean, we do re reference checks and backgrounds check and often we won't, you know, when we go down a certain path, we're not going to ask the person for it. It's just God bless things like LinkedIn, where we are um, currently during the taping of this thing mm -hmm. to do it. We also have people meet multiple people on our team. And for instance, like if you have a bullish email address, you deserve the respect and everything. I don't care if you're you're a managing partner or you're an analyst or an associate. And there are times where we just see in the process where someone isn't maybe so respectful to someone that's a looked as a gatekeeper. That's that's bad. That doesn't go over well for us. And and you know, I'm not the guy to sit in the front row of church every week by any means, but just like how you treat people and when you, you know. Assessing the stuff you do when you think no one's watching is is big there. Um, we'll also have the, the teams or be, meet with multiple people on our team. They have different backgrounds, different levels and everything. And we just see how that relationship develops. Um, it, it's in an accelerated period of time, but that's why we don't do, like, World is not Shark Tank. Talk about the other TV show besides Mad Men. Mm -hmm. World's not Shark Tank. We're not going to do, like, a 30-pitch meeting and here's a check for a million dollars kind of thing. I think... That's where the world got had gotten to, certainly in 2018 to 2021. We're making a bet in a relatively short amount of time to see if something is going to do make it big in in eight to ten years. And and the stat that uh, is from 2016, the average relationship in a 10x outcome between an, a venture investor and entrepreneur is 8.6 years. The average marriage in this country lasts 8.2 years and fails 42% of the time. So if the average marriage fails that much. Um, and we're making all these kind of like quick decisions with our investors' money. We try to do as much on like who are the humans behind it. Mm -hmm. And it's tough because it's a concentrated period of time. You know, you kind of can't live together for a year to see how it goes. Um, and, you know, we've gotten maybe too comfortable with like 70% of startups are going to fail. So let's focus on the 30%. Now, the reason why we tend to do five to eight new investments a year is like it's hard for us to do it. Oh, let's just see what this category does. You know, our failure rate is is less than half of what the industry average is. But you could mm -hmm. also say we don't take enough bets. It's like, no, we're, we're betting on, on people. And so, and yet this is the only asset class built to lose money. We can mm -hmm. lose our money many times over, but you can have one Peloton, one bubble, one um, Harry's for that matter. So, um, it, but it, it is about the people we try to assess. And, you know, we, we have, we, we report to our investors and, and we're still early stages what our AUM is going to be. Mm -hmm. um, in the same way, if we got hired on the marketing side, it's just like we're going to look in the eyes of our sponsors and say, we're going to, you know, this is a good investment and we're going to get your return or else mm -hmm. and we're accountable. So we, we take a very accountable approach to this stuff. We're going to be wrong. Katrina mm -hmm. Stitchfix, we're going to be wrong. But, um, you know, that's part of the game. Totally. When you're thinking about marketing like a B2B SaaS company, I know that like you particularly just look at like all the consumer related companies. I wonder um, if you are giving advice to an AI founder today and then how do they make their product stand out? You mentioned about proposition that's matter better than like marketing. I wonder, but like also everybody have to be their own chief brand officer. Um, how do you build like an iconic AI brand? Although I think about when I think about, um, you know, these like big tech company or like product lit company, I don't feel like I have a feeling associated with them. I know that they can do the job of a certain things, but their lack of like human characters. It's not like we're talking about McDonald's or Coke, like that kind of stands no. for the country. <clears throat> and then like even like just like the American culture in general, I feel like the current tech 
companies like just don't like beside Apple, like I don't I cannot name like a second tech company that make me feel something. I wonder how do you how would you go about marketing your AI startup or like something that's more product driven, product less company? I'll just say within like the B2B thing. I mean, in many ways, B2B is easier because it's measurable. It's like it's mm -hmm. all built on like, okay, how many signups do we get? And and there's a lot of the same rules of math to apply because great brands are great brands. Mm. Say the same way if I said Google, do you like Google and Microsoft? Like you instantly kind mm. of, or are you a Mac or a PC, which is a famous uh, campaign from a few years ago. Um, it's a lot of different, it's a lot of similarities. Um, you know, as it relates to remarkability and everything, a lot of the sales and marketing are tied together. So what are the propositions? Who, who are you built for? And who are those early movers that are going to sign up for? It might be a certain category, like education or teachers or healthcare and go with that. And then over time, it's like, you do have to knock on a lot of doors mm -hmm. um, to get those installs, but maybe there's a conference or maybe there's different get togethers where all of a sudden you can, you know, go in and build that. And I'm just talking from a results basis. Mm -hmm. Then over time you become industry standard, like Salesforce and Slack feel like industry standard to a large degree. Right. Um, or even like back up, like, like, um, uh, you know, AWS and Amazon versus Microsoft Azure and others. Like there's, there's a few category players, like what Dropbox was, mm -hmm. but they probably started with like, go early. Like who are you for originally to what we talked about? Um, how do you serve it? And then how do you get word of mouth? And how do you keep going after that? Like mm -hmm. the world doesn't have to be your ocean. Like let's go after everybody who has needs in the IT space or AI space, show a certain problem solved in a certain category and things can happen. People move on to different jobs and might bring you in. Or go to a different and like, hey, mm -hmm. if this could do well in education, it should do well in healthcare. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there, there's a company that is in the midst of retaining us today that is just doing that. They are a 20 million EBITDA company, They've never really done marketing before, have a certain expertise, I'd say, in the the I'll say the aerospace cargo area, and they want to bleed over into a couple of different areas. And there's some mm -hmm. reason why that they're that are like universal, they could do it, but then you have to learn more mm -hmm. about some of those areas. So that's what sector expertise, but it's sector expertise is who's your customer, who's your consumer, what's their pain points and going in there. There's a lot of the mm -hmm. same lists, if you will, on there. Consumer is like, you could have like quicker adoption and it, it could be more whimsical versus, hey, once we sell someone Salesforce or AI this, we, we have them forever because people don't want to change out. Finance, that's why financial services is interesting. We, we've loved to like make a dent in financial services, but a lot of financial services are like hard to hard to scale in a meaningful way because the incumbents have such um, big, big uh, moats in many cases. So, mm -hmm. but it's, it's a lot of the same thing. The execution might be different, but brands mm -hmm. still matter. Trust, integrity, especially if you're selling to a CFO who doesn't want to be stupid or get fired, versus oh, that's the most innovative thing. Um, mm -hmm. But it's a lot of the same things, quite frankly. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's an excellent question. Thank you. Um, I wonder when you're thinking about the access strategy, um, you know, not many consumer brands can hit IPO, but like many were acquired by other companies for like really big amount. Um, when you're looking at the outcome standpoint, like how do you quickly judge, like quickly just see through like a certain pattern in the industry and how do you quickly pattern match what you're, what's in front of you to what have already been successful, like a proven like track record. Uh, this might be unsatisfying two answers, but uh, two, it's, it's hard to quickly ascertain that. So we mm -hmm. investigate different categories and, you know, as much as we want to believe the founder and the pitch deck of what we're seeing, this is also marketing and they're trying to raise capital. So we pressure mm -hmm. test like, what's really going on in the category. I'd say that the um, the most obvious or matter of fact uh, thing behind that is we are built for the early stage. We will mm -hmm. do pre-seed, seed, Series A. We want to get in before $25, $30 million valuation. And the mm -hmm. reason why is, you know, a lot of people have been anti-consumer, if you will, and it, it mm -hmm. just from being angry to just laughing. You don't necessarily have to, when you're investing early, you don't necessarily have to have a ton of IPOs to do it. We want to, that's great. But there is so much money in corporate balance sheets that need to buy innovation, like the Coca-Cola vitamin water example. Mm -hmm. We had a dog food company exit to for $410 million and we made 10x for four mm -hmm. years a day. Nom nom. Nom nom, yes. Mm -hmm. uh, which I know you've been a customer in the past. Thank you for that. So it's like to, if we show, we see viable companies, great founders we've talked about, um, mm -hmm. strong gross margins, repeat purchase rates, 
Uh, there's some evidence that they're over-indexing in some area that's of intrigue, not the marketing spend, customer mm -hmm. service, whatever it is. Um, and we think it's like, this is going to get some share and this is going to take share from XYZ companies. That's a, mm -hmm. a way we're looking at it. But not everything has to become a unicorn per se um, mm -hmm. uh, on that set to be successful. You know, mm -hmm. we'll, we'll take we'll take a 10x all day long. And, and our goal with our current fund is to find a 10x opportunity on a sub $200 million exit. I don't promise it. SEC don't come after me on, on that side. But we, it's going to happen more and more as, as corporate M&A companies look to buy growth. They're going to have to buy growth um, on mm -hmm. that, that side. But they have to buy new brands because it's hard to develop them. It's just hard. Mm -hmm. so it's, that's why we're emboldened. And then, you know, on pattern matching, this is probably an unpopular or, or, or foolish answer. It's like kind of stay away from pattern matching as much as possible. Because I think mm -hmm. pattern matching is, is led to a lot of super talented, diverse, overlooked founders from being overlooked founders. Mm. Uh, if you go by the book, it's like we should invest only in San Francisco and Silicon Valley. Why? They've had the most big exits ever. I, I think in the shift with social media, with the level setting, what the internet could do, with the pandemic where you have people that might have said, I don't need to live in New York City anymore. I can go to Syracuse, New York and have a great life. That doesn't mean they, they're not any less capable of, a, of an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, when we look at our, you know, 10 years ago, mm. all our deals were New York, New York, New York, San Francisco, LA. Our last five deals, like our last seven deals, one in New York, one in LA, the rest are Tampa, Houston, Minneapolis, uh, Philadelphia. It, it, it's it's bifurcating. And so, um, and, and since that the stat is now 42% of our, our founders and CEOs are female. Mm. But, that's like we want to like raise the flag. We're for female founders. We're for great founders. Um, we're for great founders, including fam, including those who are overlooked because we don't do pattern matching to the mm -hmm. thing. We, we stay to our core about understanding the four C's. I mentioned what's going on in culture, competitive, the company, and then uh, that side. So it's it's the people. And so it's one of the things we're doing and why I love being guests on this stuff is like we're trying to increase our awareness because great consumer founders don't necessarily have the VC pitch book. They don't read TechCrunch. Um, mm -hmm. Shark Tank is probably the most informational thing that they have. And or maybe they've seen like a Techstars-esque accelerator in their hometown. So um, but great consumer propositions are going to happen more and more. They're just going to be harder to identify, which is why a lot of our uh, investing cronies are maybe moving on because it's too hard to, quote unquote, stick the landing. We, we feel really good about our proposition. Mm. Do you, when like does your company go out there like basically are you guys more like thesis driven like oh we just um here's like how we research like here's like we I know that you guys did like a fifteen hundred people customer survey before so do you guys do that every year and then like what are you you ask people why do they do X Y Z instead of like what they pick because of like you know people will Google Google shows like who they're true characters but like yeah. you know they could say whatever uh, like i mean like on the outside every, every everything is great so i wonder when you are um doing these surveys like what are things that you would what is like an actual question you would ask people yeah uh, there's there's the methodology is such i won't do it justice on there but in our survey it'll, it'll get to some things like as to as to why like what we we saw in 2018-2019 is 60 percent of the people that have gone to church in the past six months have looked at porn and it's probably not surprising because I think three of the top 15 websites in America are, are pornography driven on, on that. So it's just like what people are doing and why. And that doesn't say like, okay, let's go invest in porn. Uh, mm -hmm. that, that's just too tough. And what's exit look like and everything, you know, and there's probably morality stuff that could be debated, but it's just, we don't see the exit opportunity for a lot of cases. Um, we just, we look at things differently than, you know, form a particular thesis of having like, we're going to invest in this category. We are open for business for a U.S.-based B2C at the earliest stages. And, you know, while I've seen others like we have to do a cannabis deal, we have to do that. <clears throat> I think that creates a FOMO of to why to do the deal mm. versus going back to that professional services, two ears, one mouth, and listen to the founders out there. Now, we're not tone deaf well. It's like, well, we're seeing a lot in the menopause space. Or we're seeing a lot in the women's health space. We're seeing a lot in like whatever is like a better for you soda or something like that. We'll see like, this seems to be trending up uh, on that. And there's always like the momentum plays like AI has come up like two years ago. We weren't seeing much in AI. That was just us there, you know, others in Silicon Valley, I, I certainly were, but now we're seeing it as part of anything. Like if you, if you throw AI in there, it's just like, Ooh, it's got an advantage on there. And so mm. we're super interested on the uh, consumer applications of it. Um, but we don't want to get too drunk and just do an AI deal just to learn. 
or, or, or just to do it, say, Hey, Hey LPs, look, we did an AI deal. We're with it. It's just like, we want to be smart on that. So it's a, uh, you know, maybe it's a different approach than most, but it's, it's since it's worked well for 11 or 12 years, um, uh, as much as I stay naive, uh, always, always willing to be wrong, but uh, it's, it's worked pretty well. And I think we're going to keep going in that way. Totally. Um, Mike, thank you so much for sharing all the great, amazing insights. I can keep going with the fire type for another five hours, but I want you to have other meetings too today. Um, can you let us know where can we find you? Uh, bullish.co is there. And um, I, I tend to yell at people on Twitter at Mike Duda um, and then LinkedIn uh, uh, on that side of it. Um, or if you're at my kid's sporting event, just like, hey, you uh, on that side. Of it. But I, I probably won't give away that information. But uh, yeah, it, but bullish, you know, it, especially if you're building something consumer or your private equity firm looking to buy something consumer or like a chip on the shoulder, like executive who needs help with brand or marketing and need need like an ally to help with the fight. Uh, we'll, we'll always take those calls. So it's uh, we, we are defined by the company we keep. And, um, and thank you for your time. And Grace, love your passion uh, as you continue to build up your awesome platform with book writings and 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 some uh, uh, very esteemed people, not myself, of course, uh, that you've met. So um, keep going with what you're doing, too. It's fun. Thank you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Mike, for coming on the show. Anytime. Thank you, Grace. Okay, I'm going to end the stream.